Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we're going to talk about domestic abuse and the justice system. Did you know that almost twice as many women have been killed by their partner between 2001 and 2012 than troops were killed in Iraq and Afghanistan? So today I want to focus a little bit on domestic abuse in the justice system because a lot of people say, you know what, in the gun community, we don't care about domestic violence. They don't think that we, you know, we focus our attention on that. They don't think we focus on suicide, you know, when we actually do. Um, I'll get people that walk into the gun store. I've actually had someone come into the gun store and say, hey, you know, I have, I have a family member that's contemplating suicide and they're trying to get their hands on a gun. Could you please not sell them a gun? And we'll put their name on a little list there. We make sure we won't sell them a gun and we'll contact authorities if they walk in. You know, so we actually assist in things like that. You know, you, you kind of it, it, it's a, a fine line that you you find yourself in. But these are some of the things that we you know have to deal with, especially around the holidays, during the uh, the Christmas, Hanukkah and all the different holidays that we have, you know, during this time of year, New Year's. Uh, we find ourselves think some, thinking about these things um, because on the holidays, it, it seems like we, we lose a lot of loved ones during that time period. So I want to focus a little bit on domestic abuse and the justice system, because also I want to talk about, you know, the fact that it's not always equal on both sides. You know, some people are, you know, get away with things that other people cannot get away with. Uh, we find ourselves looking at the case in Waco, Texas, at Baylor University, where the uh, the president of a fraternity Actually, you know what? He, he, what, what was it? He, um, God, what was that story? He only, he got, what, four? He, uh, well, I don't, can we say allegedly or was he, I, I don't know if it's allegedly. So uh, there are four women involved and that he allegedly uh, assaulted or something like that. And, you know, he, he didn't get much time of anything. You know, he only got, he got no time whatsoever. He got five. Can I get the other mic turned on? All right, go ahead. Yeah, he got fined $400. So fined $400. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, no jail time. Still allowed to graduate, too. And then the, uh, the his accuser, you know, she came forward and she actually spoke 
Uh, and it was heart wrenching, you know, because the, the things that she had to say, you know, he, you know, she said that, you know, he took her, 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 her I mean, just everything from her. So that was, you know, very heart wrenching listening to her testify and, and listen to her give her statement. And so I kind of want to talk about domestic abuse and also the justice system. But I want to bring into the conversation uh, Victoria Broussard. Victoria is an attorney. She's also an author. And also an advocate. And we're bringing Victoria's from Austin, Texas. But you know what? She's traveling. She's all the way in, I think, in the Carolinas somewhere. So we're, I had to bring Victoria in because, you know, Victoria, she knows a lot about this because she's an attorney and she experienced this stuff. Um, and, you know, this is I'm, I'm an outsider looking in. And so I'm kind of trying to dig into it a little bit to, you know, to figure out what's going on and how we can help. You know, because the best thing I can do for you, ladies, is I can um, teach you how to cook a pot of grits and, and bring them to the table and, and, and sit down and just lay some grits on them. That's all I can do. But then also there's both sides of the story as well. So let me bring in Victoria Broussard. Victoria, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Uh, so, uh, ma'am. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. Pleasure to be here. I appreciate you. Hey, all right. Uh, Victoria, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you come to being an author and, and you know, come down this trail of, of talking about domestic abuse, the justice system, and all this stuff? Well, it's been a long haul for me, actually. Um, my experiences with violence and sexual assault started at a very young age when I was five years old, and it continued uh, for the next uh, 10 years, basically, uh, with a number of assaults on me, on my body, and uh, it wasn't until about seven years ago that I actually started to deal with this subject of violence against women from a sexual assault perspective, as well as violence against children with regard to child molestation. Um, when I decided it was finally time for me to start healing is when I uh, thought, hey, you know, I know a lot of women, uh, actually one in three to five women and one in six to ten men are sexual sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So I knew there was a lot of people out there who were secreting this experience and as a result of secreting, going through a lot of pain. And I wanted to help other women uh, similarly situated to myself. So I started writing my book in 2012 called I Comfortable Victim. And as a result of that, I ended up being on several radio shows, including yours several years back, which I appreciated that opportunity to, um, to spread the word about sexual abuse of children and women and how violence has impacted our communities. And so um, that's pretty much where I stand. I also am an attorney, so I'm on both sides of the coin. Um, and a lot of people find that interesting because I also defend sexual assault perpetrators or those accused of sexual assault. However, because of what I've been through, um, I can kind of scout out whether or not there's something going on or whether or not, you know, everyone has a right to a defense in this country. That's their constitutional right. I am a, a board certified attorney in the state of Texas. And so um, I do also represent people on both sides of this situation. Um, it's just a, it's very telling, especially right now with what's going on in our political climate. You know, interestingly enough, there was a surge, an uptick, rather, of a lot of anxiety with regard to this last election. And a lot of women were coming forward, according to some of the statistics, and discussing what happened with them during the, uh, during the election. 
and approximately 50% of Americans reported experiencing distress as a result of the 2016 presidential election, regardless of party affiliation or gender. And this was the result of the tenor and the tone and the rhetoric of how women were perceived in our community and in our political injustice system as a result of them coming forward and um, outing their abuse. So it is definitely a, a real issue. Um, PTSD in both women and men is very high for child sexual abuse as well as sexual abuse and violence. So we really need to, to deal with these issues from a political as well as a social as well as from a socioeconomic standard. Okay, and then I got a, a David uh, David Hahn online on Facebook says, "Did you know that women also kill spouses at a rate of forty percent, and that women are more likely to kill their children than our men?" What, what are your, what's your take on that, um, Victoria? Well, yeah, I mean, people kill. <laughs> that's a uh, that's obvious. We we know that our society is full of pain and rage, and people who are not dealing with their past, they're not dealing with. Um, some of the things that have caused a lot of disdain within them. And as a result of that, this society seems to uh, promote lots of things like that. I mean, you look at television, we're all desensitized to murder, we're desensitized to killing, we're desensitized to rape on a consistent basis. So, yeah, people kill. I mean, hurting people hurt people. Everybody knows that. And that's across the board. That's not going to be... Um, something that's going to be relegated to one gender or another, we all have psychological issues that cause us to hurt one another. And so at the root, that's what we need to deal with. We need to deal with hurting men. We need to deal with hurting women so that we can learn to treat each other better. All right. So we're talking about domestic abuse and the justice system. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargo. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about domestic abuse and the justice system. And we have Victoria Broussard. She's an attorney on the phone. and She's talking to us about domestic abuse. We're talking about, you know, uh, Victoria, you know, what can we do? Because you defended people on both sides of, of this. You defended men. You defended women. You defended the abuser, the accused abuser. You, you've defended the abused. So, you know, what, what's your take on this on the political side of it, you know, what we were facing around the country with like Baylor University, uh, this young man, you know, literally got nothing. You know, he took a, a young lady's. Um, he, he, I mean, he took what, what, what word am I looking for? Her dignity, everything her from her, everything, everything from her. Yeah. Uh, she was, you know, she was a virgin and he took that from her. So, you know, what what do we say about these? Well, first, I'd like to say that you know, rape is an act of possession, of power, and of control, and it's been used for centuries as a political tool um, in war as a means of social control and torture. Um, because, you know, you it's, know, it's actually common to do something, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, it's, it's common yeah. for when you, you kill your, um, someone, someone on the other side, 
it's it's very common for soldiers to actually urinate. Yeah, I mean, it, that just goes to show that, you know, the degradation that we're experiencing as a culture is rampant and it doesn't seem to be letting up. You know, it's only been recently that rape has even been recognized as a form of political oppression and torture. So what we really need to start doing is addressing the balance of power between men and women and people who perpetrate these kind of crimes and their targets. And policymakers need to ensure responsive measures that reflect a comprehensive understanding of the breadth and depth of the problems that these types of issues cause for women and our society and our families and our government and our educational system and our prison system. I mean, it is very, very comprehensive. So we need to start removing the barriers that these types of experiences have placed in our society between a person going to get help and saying, hey, this has happened to me, feeling confident and comfortable with a system that is going to protect them versus a system that is going to shut them out and try to shut them up because we don't like the way this sounds. Mm. I mean, this is not an easy conversation, and that's the problem. We need open, non-judgmental, and continual dialogue about what has happened to children and women in this society. Okay. And then we have inside the studio, Christian, you know, I want to bring her to the mic because uh, she's had an experience where um, she's been assaulted um, and abused. And Christian, I want you to tell us a little bit about your story without naming any names or anything like that. But tell us a little bit about your story and, and you know, why are you here today? Um, well, I got with a guy when I was 19 and he was 30 something. And so he, at the beginning of the relationship, he tried to convince me to take um, acid and different drugs. And um, he told me that he knows how the universe works and people looked up to him as if he were a god and like really tried to, really tried for me to do those things. And then um, he was just, he was, he would talk to me nicely and be very supportive. And then um, I ended up getting a job and um, it was like my first real job. And so it was like after that, things started to become very controlling. Like he didn't want me to be around my family. He didn't want me talking to anyone. Um, I used to work overnight, so he would come up um, before we'd go on air and we would smoke cigarettes. And he would just come up out of nowhere and just be around me constantly. Um, At so, what point did you feel that it was a problem? Uh, it it kind of took a while. Uh, I'm also... Um, a sexual abuse survivor as a child. So a lot of things that would stand out to other people, I suppose, I didn't see. And so I didn't really know. And then I also was young, or, you know, I, I met him probably when I was 18, and I'm 21 now. So I think a lot of, some of it was being naive, plus being having a background of sexual abuse. And so I... Would you, I would you say also maybe a little low self-esteem, maybe a little bit? Well, I th he manipulated me um, heavily, and uh, I did do LSD with him, and a lot of it was brainwashing. I mean, it was kind of like Charles Manson. That's like the best way I can describe it, how he would try to, like he wanted me to experience death on it and a bunch of different things. And so, and then he, uh, he would use my sexual abuse and physical abuse because I was in a very physical abusive relationship before that. So he would just... He, and he, he would try to diagnose me with things and use that to kind of just 
you know, I guess feel safe with him. Right, right. And Victoria, what what are your thoughts on that, uh, Victoria Broussard? Well, that's typical. Um, you know, that is basically how people who are, you know, <laughs> hell-bent for a certain type of behavior from a woman, they use these tactics to get them to comply with their needs. That's a way of controlling them. That's a way of um, diminishing their own ability to make a decision, diminishing their ability to say no. And um, like your guest has said, when you are a survivor of childhood sexual abuse as well, like she is and like I am, you're, you're totally desensitized to your own feelings. Um, the nature of childhood sexual abuse makes you disconnect. That type of trauma, which they say that the <laughs> childhood sexual abuse is at the top of the list of people who experience PTSD. It's right underneath war veterans. So imagine the type of experience a child is having as they're sexually abused and their brain is trying to wire and trying to understand these experiences. And then you're continuing to grow. You're continuing to push down these feelings. You're desensitized to your own emotions because in order for that crime to to occur continually to you, that um, perpetrator has to continually reinforce that you're not connected to yourself. And then you start feeling not connected to yourself, which leads to a lifetime of abuse. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to your guest. And so we need to really deal with these issues from a psychosomatic perspective because PTSD is real. And if you're saying that a child who is sexually abused has a PTSD level next to someone who's a war veteran, what is that saying about children who are sexually abused when you have one and three to five girls mm. and one and six boys? So, these, so these Victoria, let me, let, uh -huh. let me ask you this. How do we empower women to, you know, to say no and to either leave, leave that relationship or, you know, or fight back? Uh, well, you know, that's a real loaded question, Michael, I know, because, I know. <laughs> you know, everyone is so different. But I think that it starts with what you're doing right here is giving women an opportunity to feel safe when they discuss what happened to them, giving them an opportunity to feel like, hey, I didn't do anything wrong as a child. I mean, I grew up thinking that all of what happened to me for those 15 years of sexual abuse was my fault. You know, I did something wrong. I was the person who wanted it. I was the one who provoked it by something that I did. And I mean, I, I'm a five-year-old child. How, mm. I, how do I know, you know, that I'm doing something that's going to cause me a lifetime of pain? Even if I was doing something, the grown-up should have known, hey, stop that. That's not proper because sex is natural. I mean, let's just be honest. Sexual activity is a natural part of humanity, mm. but we need to teach children what it means to have a proper touch, what it means to have an improper touch, and how to tell. Because if you don't reinforce these concepts of this is your body, you, you don't have to let somebody touch your body. It starts there. It starts with a safe haven. It starts with a safe place. And these open dialogues, Michael. Mm, mm, okay. And, and let me go back to uh, Christian. Uh, you know, Christian, what's, what's your take on what, what uh, Victoria is saying? 
Um, I think it's very hard um, just because of my situation. He, you know, he was a veteran. So he boasted about killing children a lot. Um, and then the thing was, too, you know, mentally, um, I was weak. And so because, I mean, he went to UT for philosophy and all these other things. And so, like, for me, I guess it was just really hard because he was manipulating me. But at the same time, I was fearful to go to the cops because of the situation that happened to me now. And then, you know, I'm afraid, is he going to kill me? So what, <clears throat> well, then why wouldn't you leave? Because you, it's just, you can't. And then also, too, I didn't have a car. Right. I mean, he financially controlled me. And so you're just kind of in a situation where right. you feel stuck, especially being some, uh, a childhood sexual abuse survivor. You just, I don't know. It's just it's hard it's to hard. explain. Hard it's to very explain. hard to explain, but right. it's just you, you're Be- so because you about still you still love that person. You cared about them. Uh, no, I mean, I think he kind of brainwashed me into feeling a certain way about him. But uh, I mean, I wanted to leave. I just felt like I couldn't and I couldn't jeopardize my job. I would have lost my job and a bunch of things at that moment, as well as the biggest thing was I felt like I was going to be murdered if I did leave. Okay. We're talking about domestic abuse. We're talking about the justice system. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about domestic abuse and we're talking about the justice system. But let me give you a little update on some current news. Uh, So apparently a shotgun rifle stolen from a Travis County deputy's vehicle overnight uh, was actually found. An Austin man was arrested after stealing a shotgun and a rifle from a Travis County deputy's vehicle on Friday. According to the arrest affidavit, 20-year-old Christopher Munez burglarized a clearly marked deputy vehicle early Thursday morning. Now, documents showed deputies were able to use surveillance video to identify the car Munez used during the burglary. And the sheriff's office then traced it back to Munez's parents' house located less than half a mile away from uh, where the theft occurred and where Munez had been temporarily residing for several weeks. Now, deputies searched the house and located the two firearms in a closet. Also located during the search was a DPS trooper badge and two empty firearm holsters. And so and then also in uh, the the range at Austin, man, I tell you, you know, you got to. Oh, man, we got to do a better, better job of keeping track of our inventory and things of that nature. You know, so the range at Austin had an had a burglary and about eight firearms were actually stolen. And then, according to the ATF, when he did their inspection, uh, about 40 guns they couldn't locate. Uh, so they couldn't track 40 firearms. Uh, they have no idea, like, where they are, where the paperwork is or where the guns are located. You know, and when that stuff like that happens, um, that means that now those 40 guns or 30 or however many they were that cannot be found, either the paperwork or the firearms, now have to be reported stolen. So now, if those guns actually go to went to a customer now what happens is that customer you know if something happens that gun comes up the customer gets pulled over by police they run the serial number of that gun it comes back stolen you know and a gun that you actually legally purchase from a gun a gun store gun range 
And so that's just unacceptable. We got to do a better job of uh, being accountable for our, our products inside of our business. Need to do inventory every 30 days. There's no excuse, no exception whatsoever. Uh, so this is just totally unacceptable. Uh, so, you know, this just, man, theft, accountability. It's always the same thing over and over again. Accountability. Right, Felicia? Always accountability. <laughs> I can't believe that APD officers, it was APD, had Travis, their County. Gun, Travis, Travis County, County, had their guns stolen from their cars. What? And just a few months ago in San Marcos, San Marcos Police Department lost an entire squad car. Oh, wow. What? Y'all? <laughs> an entire vehicle? But yet people want to let the government handle things. They can't even handle their vehicles and their <laughs> guns. I can't. It, it's like a bad dream. Oh, crazy. All right, uh, Victoria, I know I, I told you I was going to cut you loose in about 15 minutes, but I, I, this is just too important. And I just got to have you bear with me a little bit because this is so much I don't know about um, when, when it comes to domestic abuse in, in the justice system. Because uh, we haven't gotten to the justice system part yet. We just focus on, you know, some abuse. And what I'm, I'm hearing is that there is no data for men being raped. Why would you why, why do you think that's so? Well, I mean, it, it, it's a par for the course as it relates to the embarrassment and the uh, stigma relative to rape and sexual assault. You know, men are reluctant to come forth and say, hey, this happened to me. So the Department of Justice statistics on rape with regard to men and sexual assault on men it's just not even clear that it does happen more frequently. However, it's just not reported because of the stigma related to this type of a crime. But one of the things you had asked about earlier that I think is worth noting, which this was a real shock to me. There was a noted anthropologist who studied rape-free and rape-prone cultures around the world. What she found, Michael, was that the rape-free cultures were the ones that tended to worship male and female gods or were animistic and the women, regardless of their roles in society, held political and economic power equal to that of men, which goes to what your other guest was saying, that the man that manipulated her had economic power over her, which deadened or weakened her voice in society, which made him feel like, I can abuse this person. Men feel like they can abuse women and children because they feel more powerful than women and children. Mm. And that's why I said earlier in the show, if we start to shift the balance of power, and in this society, or I should say in the Western society, we really don't have that perspective because this society is set up the way it is. Now, what she did find is the societies that were rape-free were ones that were, of course, not first world, not even second world societies. They were typically aboriginal tribes scattered around the world. So we really need to start dealing with how this society views women, how, how this society looks at women from an economical standpoint, and what value we place on the women in our society. Hmm. Okay. All right. So let me go back to uh, Christian. All right. So tell a little bit more about your story. All right. So <clears throat> um, you're, you're in this relationship now, and mm -hmm. you had a couple things happen, and 
you're still hanging in there. Uh, any anyone in your family that you can lean on? Um, well, my sister started staying with me um, because I I ended up being set up and then arrested. But before that, for a couple weeks, she started staying with me because I was so scared for my safety. And exactly the thing that happened with me being arrested is another reason why I was fearful to leave. And the day I got my car, when I told him I was going to be leaving, is the day that he set me up and I was arrested. Mm. And so... Um, and, and later on, I ended up finding out that sh- the girl that he uh, invited over, she planned on sam- setting me up and that they talked about it and how she needed to get back at me and, and a lot of weird things. I never met her, and she was like a married woman that lived in that apartment complex. Um, but they planned it out, and then when I, 15 minutes before I got home, that's when she started to take off her clothes and get on top of him. And so when I came, and he also texted me saying that he was maybe going to hang out with his friend that was a male friend. And uh, he acted like everything was fine. So when me, when me and my sister got there, everything seemed normal. We didn't think about anything. And then she was hiding in the restroom. And I had to go to work the next day, so it ended up leading to an arrest because, um, you know, when I walked to the bathroom, um, he grabbed me, picked me up. And so I, ha- I have nails because of my job because I work at a jewelry channel. And so when he picked me up, and somehow when he was throwing me, maybe hit, like my nails accidentally scratched him. I don't remember, because I never actually tried to fight him. And so um, then the cops came. They talked to me for maybe two minutes. And then and they didn't talk to me or my sister, and then talked for, to them the whole entire time and never came back to do anything other than arrest me. And then later on, later, later on during that, uh, you know, he began stalking me. So he had the stalking case while I was still going to court for my arrest. And then they ended up dismissing it based off of uh, the evidence they found on my case about being arrested. And then because it's hard for you to get something, <clears throat> it's hard for you to get something on the other side because you have that other case going on at the same time. Yeah, okay. and so I think that was another way of kind of trying to control me because. He, he uh, did not want me to leave whatsoever. He was doing all he could to, like, not have me leave. And even if I wouldn't talk to him or anything, and he would still harass me. He would, like, uh, punch holes in the wall, break down the door, do a, a lot of other things. He, like, threw my dog against the wall trying to protect me. And he's like a little dachshund. And um, was very violent. And so and when so, that, the incident of throwing the dog against the wall, did you call the police at that incident? No, because I was just too scared. And the thing is, I've had cops come right. previously, and they don't do anything. They absolutely do nothing, and then they'll just leave. And it's like you, they have to build all these things. It's not like someone will get arrested. Okay. And, and then also, too, he talks um, very well. And so that was, a, uh, that was another thing a cop said to me. You know, oh, he talks so well. that it's like, you know, he, he kind of manipulated the officers, too. Okay. But the biggest problem is they didn't speak to me at all. They just left me there. And then now, and, and I don't want to put you in a bad light. I'm not trying to point the blame at you. Um, but then at that point, why wouldn't you leave and maybe go to a family member's oh, home? Oh, no. So at that point, I did leave. Okay. And then the stalking began. Okay. Okay. All right. Felicia, what you got? I think this is a really hard subject to unpack because it is such an emotional subject. Right. So it's kind of hard to get down to the meat and facts of everything and how we can make our system better, whether it's 
the law enforcement or the judiciary. Um, something that I don't really talk about a lot is I was also in an abusive relationship. Um, very mentally controlling, followed me around, tried to manipulate when I saw my family, when I worked, um, everything. Thankfully, I have a very strong family, a very strong foundation that I was able to get help and I was able to um, handle it sooner rather than later. But I reported him. I called the cops. I filed reports and I was like, I don't feel safe. He's going to hurt me. Something's going to happen. And the question that, and this was San Marcos PD, San Marcos says, has he touched you? Mm -hmm. I said, no. They're like, then we can do nothing. So he has to kill me? Mm-hmm. or hit me first before you'll do anything? That's exactly what I went through, too. And they said yes. So... Until our systems are better, you have to take care of yourself. That's what I did. So, sorry. <laughs> no, you're right. And Stephen... Uh, says online, two studies have found that at least 40% of police officer families experience domestic violence in contrast to 10, 10% of families in the general population. A third study of older and more experienced officers found a rate of 24%, indicating that domestic violence is two to four times more common among police families than American families in general. And a police department that has domestic violence offenders among its ranks will not effectively serve and protect victims in the community, five, six, seven, eight, moreover, then officers know of domestic violence committed by their colleagues and seek to protect them by covering it up. And they expose the department to civil liability. We're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about the justice system. We come back, Victoria, I want to ask you um, more about the justice system because you're an attorney. You know, what, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to fix this or what are some of the things that we can do to make this stop this is michael cargill and you are listening to come and talking hey this is awr hawkins breitbart news and you're listening to come and talk it with michael cargill talk 1370 Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking about domestic abuse and we're also talking about the justice system. Now, when when things like this happen, you know, I want to ask, you know, what can we do as far as when we contact the police? You have to dial 911. If it gets that bad, you have to dial the police. You can't leave that situation. What should you ask for when you call the police? Um, you can ask for a I'm closer for a mental health deputy to come out with the police officer. You can also ask uh, for them to send victim services. You can um, uh, you can ask, you can call Safe Place uh, once the officers leave. So there's an organization called Safe Place? Safe Place here in Austin, yes. Okay, and that'll help you. And then what about if you, if, if, what if this has happened to a child? Um, if this happened to a child, then I definitely recommend calling CPS, uh, Child Protective Services, making a report. And usually... If it's not a family member, then it happened to a child. 
then again, you would still call the police, still make a okay. uh, still make a report, make sure it's reported, and then from there, an investigation would be open. And usually, they'd end up at the Center for Child Protection, where they'd go through a forensic interview. Okay. All right, and then Victoria, um, you know, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, to that topic, I want to stress how important it is to absolutely get tested to perform that forensic analysis, even if it feels scary to have someone prodding and poking on your body after you've already been violated. Uh, Without that forensic information, it's difficult sometimes to build the case against the defendant. Um, The prosecutors in situations like this, obviously they look for solid, uh, confirmed DNA evidence, And if you don't go immediately to uh, get tested, you may lose some of that evidence and decrease your chances of getting a conviction. So if you know someone who has been sexually abused and you're trying to convince them to go in to safe place or to their nearest emergency room and get some type of forensic examination, um, a sexual uh, assault kit, a rape kit, please, please admonish them to do so quickly because you need to preserve that evidence. Okay. The the thing about that is many times with children, they may not make outcries of sexual abuse until days, weeks, even months after the abuse has occurred. And what happens when children go go to places as the Center for Child Protection here in Austin or any children's advocacy center, there are many all over the state of Texas in each county, um, is that they would go through a forensic interview process, which these are people that are specially trained to talk to kids and gather as much information and details without, without um, you know, putting their own two cents into it, per se. Um, and, and the way that children are able to articulate what has happened to them, it can be very powerful within the criminal justice system. Mm, okay. And then let's go uh, to the justice system, Victoria. So as far as the justice system, how, how is this stuff handled in the system, like, for instance, Travis County, you know, how do we handle something like this in, in Austin? Well, you know, the biggest issue is really dealing with the policymakers, um, because without the proper policies, you know, when you get into the justice system, you're going to be going into this, you know, circus situation if these policymakers aren't clearly overstanding what these issues are so but you don't think you don't think we have the laws already in place to deal with this oh i mean no we need to do a much better job with some of the laws that we have in place because the certain legislation does not assist when it comes to workplace violence there's a lot of sexual harassment still going on in the workplace and we need to help with that legislation because there's employers that are not required to report some of their information with regard to what happens within their company. So we need to force employers to have to report annually to federal enforcement officials uh, when they have settlements. A lot of times these things aren't even brought to the court system. Like in several instances, I have represented people who had claims against their employers, but they end up settling. So this information doesn't ever get to our legislators. It doesn't ever get into the system. There's no statistics about it. So we need our policymakers to start pressing the employers to provide some type of 
a reporting system so that we can chronicle sexual harassment in the workplace, then you also have issues where when people do start working, they're not even always given the basic information about the sexual harassment policy at their organization. So we really do need for women to start joining women's organizations and um, contacting their legislators, finding out which legislators actually support women's rights in their area, and even writing those legislators. Okay. And Felicia? I think that we do need to clarify some laws and and laws in the legislature, but I think that we need to be taking self-defense and empowering women more seriously. You're not going to find any legislator anywhere in the U.S. or the state who's who's going to say that they don't care about women's rights. So I think that's looking at it at the wrong attitude. We need to stop looking to the government to fix our problems and teach our women and our girls, this is your life, your choices. You need to be able to take care of yourself. And when something bad does happen and someone does cross the line, then we have a government who can protect us on that end. But first and foremost, women need to be able to take care of themselves and we need to be teaching better self-defense, be aware of your surroundings, and then have the government step in and, um, you know, punishment or, or jail time whenever issues do arise. And then Skip says online on Facebook, he says that um, <clears throat> we need to remove the firearms from the home from the from both sides, both parties. I mean, what's your take on that, Felicia? <laughs> I, I saw that comment online. I typed out a response and um, for my own sanity, I deleted it because it's not <laughs> a valid argument. Skip, you know, if you want to if you want to come on air and you want to have that conversation, I'll be back in the studio in 2019. But that's a BS reason. And um, it's a BS thought. And that's not restricting someone's Second Amendment rights is not how you keep them safe. All right. And um, let me go back to uh, Victoria. What's your thought? Oh, I definitely agree. I I don't think that it's not relevant. It's not a material fact with regard to what we're talking about. Having a gun in your home for home protection, for protecting your family and your loved ones is not relevant to the topic of uh, sexual violence and violence against women. Yeah, I mean, people are going to kill people, like I said earlier. Unfortunately, that's the reality of our world. And whether you have a gun in your home or not, if somebody really wants to kill somebody in that house, they're going to do it. Mm. All right. And then in closing, let me go to um, – I'm going to go back to you in closing and and tell me what, what do you want people to know or to take away from this? Um, well, I think Christine. it's very, very, very important for people to speak out. Um, you know, it's caused me a lot of trauma, and I've experienced seizures, um, almost to the point of where I need to take disability from work and stuff, and I don't think people realize the impact it causes. It's not just me feeling scared and feeling a little bit of anxiety. It literally impacts every single thing that I have to face in life, and it makes every day very, very hard. And so I think it's very important for women to speak out, and men, uh, I think it's very, very important. But I think the more we come together, the stronger it will be for us to be able to go against people uh, changing the laws and to actually do something about it. So, Christian, if you could go back and tell your former self something when you were in the thick of all this, what would it be? Um, I don't know. I, I definitely, knowing everything I do now, I think I could have been able to save myself in a lot of ways, but also, too, I don't regret 
not, you know, not going through it in the sense of because now I'm able to help other people. And so, uh, I mean, I'm willing to die for this cause and helping other women who go through this. And so, I mean, and not a lot of people, a lot of people are scared to come out. So, How would you have helped you when you're in the situation? Um, I guess I, I, I'm not sure. I, I guess I could have done better in the sense of with my counselor, maybe going to a place like safe place, but it, it's so complicated because it's like I was working. I can't just take off of work and stuff. So it's like really hard to answer that question other than uh, beating the cycle of abuse and being in abusive relationships and not going through it again. Because when you're in, when you're in it, it's just it's a very difficult, difficult process. Oh, yeah. And so. then, Victoria, what would you like for people to know in closing? Well, you know, when I, in hearing that question, of course, I um, flash back to my personal experiences as well. But it's been difficult learning how to protect myself, you know. And I think that that goes with you know the young lady who was just explaining what happened to her, and she started to cry during the segment because when you are finally opening up and getting this like boulder off of your chest, I mean, you just feel so weighted. And so what, what my thought is, is women, we need to learn how to protect ourselves. I mean, even though we're by nature, we're nurturers, we're givers, we're caregivers, you know, we're mothers, we do all of these things but we don't know how to protect ourselves, protect our emotions, protect our heart, protect our viability. And so that's what I would say to women is to empower yourself. I agree completely with the young lady who talked about empowerment. I mean, you have to learn what your truth is. You have to understand that truth has no judgment and to empower yourself in that truth. All right. Well, thank you very much. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.